thank you for joining us on our seventh episode of Chats with Black-Owned Businesses. I'm your host, Vidith Eugene. Today's episode, started from the motherland, now we're here, is with the company Burhan. Burhan is a family-owned and operated business that sources its products exclusively from Africa. The company has a huge commitment to working with and providing income opportunities for farmers from the continent. As of right now, they mainly sell non-GMO tech. We speak to the co-founder's son, Emmanuel, and get his perspective of running a family-owned business. He shares with us how real estate and ownership played a huge role in changing the trajectory of his family's personal life financially and created a stepping stone for the inception of their business. Okay, and if you can go ahead and introduce yourself, and tell us a little bit about your business. Hi, my name is uh, Emmanuel Hermes. Um, I'm the son of Hermes Manalo and Bethlehem Gubrisolasi. They're the two founders of Burhan Greens. Um, Burhan Greens is a specialty supplier of authentic Abyssinica Tef. Tef is an ancient super grain. It's gluten-free, it's rich in iron, rich in calcium. It's super healthy. It's been around for tens of thousands of years, but it's really making a, a push towards North America now. If you could let us know a little bit about the starting of um, your business. So the business was started by three of us. So myself um, and my two parents. When it comes to Tef, they have the, the like the ancient knowledge, if that makes sense. They have the ancestral knowledge because they actually grew up in Ethiopia. And on both sides of the family, there were actual Tef businesses. On my mother's side of the family, there was my grandfather used to farm Tef. And then on my dad's side of the family, my, my family used to not only grow tough, but also mill it. There was actually multiple flour mills located throughout Ethiopia. Yeah, so the name Burhan actually comes from the Amharic word for radiant light. So it's not just some kind of fluorescent light bulb. It's, it's like some from the sun, you know, like that radiant, warm, nurturing light. Nice. And how did you guys come up with that name? Well, it was actually my youngest sister that came up with it. She's 14 now, but she's really bright. So that's the one that kind of, the whole family fell in love with it right away. So if you could let me know a little bit about your childhood, what did you see or didn't see that shaped your idea of building wealth? The basic background of the family as a whole was not necessarily rags to riches, but rags to doing well. We grew up in government housing. When I was born, both my parents were working uh, part-time jobs and like a waitress. Uh, my father, he used to do the juice at one of the local restaurants, like the using the juicer and the blenders. Um, and it was a real struggle. So we, we pretty much came up from the bottom, uh, you know, welfare, food banks. Um, but they were both in school at the time. Uh, I remember just growing up, there was a lot of crime in the area. Uh, there were a lot of fights at school. Um, and when I was, I think around eight, I would say around eight years old, um, they finally told me enough's enough. You know, there was a, a shooting in our, in our building and they, they, it was just enough for them. They were like, we can't do this anymore. Um, and so they worked really hard and they got their first mortgage um, in the suburbs. So it was, uh, for us, it was a mansion. It was this huge house. But now looking back on it, you know, it, it was a humble home um, in, a, in a really good area. Uh, and then from that, you know, they, my, by that time, my parents had both graduated. Uh, they were both earning a lot more. My mom um, was doing nursing at the time. My father got his engineering degree. They were both doing pretty well at this point. Also, real estate 
uh, usually goes up. So within a few years, they were able to flip that house for an even bigger house in a much more high and mighty kind of area. Um, and by that time, you know, we, had, we also had our first car. We'd been using uh, public transportation up until then. And then from then, um, they did the same thing again. They flipped that house again and they got an even bigger house. And so I think it was that kind of initial, uh, those initial, we didn't realize at the time, but there were like real estate investments, even though they were just thinking of it as um, trying to get our kids out of this area. Um, what they were actually doing, what we learned later on was that's the pretty much basics of real estate investing. Um, and they've done it pretty well. So thanks to them, after those initial few years of a bit of a struggle, we grew up really well after that. Um, and just seeing that growth, that ambition within such a short, it was really, really inspirational. And you said it was you that brought up the idea to them about um, making this a family business. Um, like, how did um, that come to be? I'm not sure if you know about the, uh, the patent dispute with TEF. There was this Dutch company um, a few years ago that pretty much claimed a patent on TEF um, in multiple different countries, too, which is actually pretty shocking to me because it's really ignorant that these countries would allow them to claim such a right over a grain that's over 10,000 years old and has been the staple of our diets for centuries. And so what that pretty much did was it didn't allow Ethiopian farmers and Ethiopian businesses to export to these certain countries. This grain had become so popular at that point that Ethiopia actually had to ban exports because the local prices were out of control, like they skyrocketed. So imagine what that would have done for like investment, for uh, commercializing like these farms, you know, bringing in modernizing equipment. You know, a lot of tough farmers, they're today, they're still using, you know, like uh, cows and, you know, like horses, you know, to, 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 to grow the tough. It's very old school. And so that was, I guess, for us, strike one. You know, like that, that really made our blood just boil. Um, I think not just us, the whole Ethiopian, Eritrean, East African community. And I think the black community as a whole, you know, everyone that was aware of it was just outraged. Um, so Ethiopia was in the middle of fighting for these rights back. Um, they were in the middle of, you know, raising money to fight this legal battle. And so for us, the, like, I think the final straw was we heard this story on the news. It was about a farmer in Idaho, a white farmer in Idaho. And what happened was there was an Ethiopian farmer that immigrated to the US and was trying to start a commercial tough farm in the States. And so this white farmer had owned the tough market in the US for a while. He was like one of the, the largest ones. You know, even we had used his tough before. You know, it was available in Toronto for a little bit. Um, but we didn't really, you know, enjoy it. It's North American and European grown stuff. Like there's nothing compared to Ethiopian grown. So what happened was um, there was actually like a confrontation. This white farmer tried to sabotage his business and actually went and confronted him and said something like, go back to Ethiopia or go back to your own country. You don't belong here, something like that. And so that was the final straw for us. Okay, so it's like now you've not only, like we, we have the Dutch claiming that TEF belongs to them. We have uh, local farmers uh, that are not, Ethiopian farmers that are not able to grow in the US. And then there were also the Chinese starting to grow TEF, India was starting to grow TEF. So it became like a thing where if we wait any longer, then this opportunity might not be there. So there needs to be a trustworthy TEF company in North America. Since there really isn't one at this point, 
we got to step up. This is an opportunity. Let's just take it. Let's, let's just do something. So that was the goal. Let's just do something. Um, and so immediately, like I started just trying to put like a business plan together, start to think of different ideas. Like, how are we going to make this work? How are we going to get it, you know, from Ethiopia, from Africa here? And so there were so many difficulties. So like, especially with sourcing, because the cost of shipping is really, really high one. And on top of that, you need like a large amount of capital. So just to make it worthwhile, we had to ship a 40 foot container. So uh, that's 20 tons, 20,000 kilos of tap. This is our first time. You know what I mean? We have no idea if we're going to have customers. We have no idea. It was a complete act of faith. So, you know, we're like, let's just do it. While we're ordering this uh, tap, we're, we're, we got the lab results done. We got everything done. We, we're thinking that, you know what, this is it. We got this. Like, while it's on the way, it takes about a month, you know, for it to get here um, by boat. And so by the time it had arrived, we had, you know, I, I had time to, I, I do graphic design as well. So but I, I knew, when we ordered the tap, we didn't even have a logo. You know what I mean? <laughs> so by that time, you know, in that month's time, I had, a, I had time to kind of get things together. And so we premiered, uh, we pretty much launched Brahan Tef on September 11th, 2018. So September 11th is Ethiopian New Year. So pretty much uh, last, yeah, September 11th, uh, Ethiopian New Year just passed. Nice. Um, and so it's been 2012 in Ethiopian time. It's been 2012 up until now. Now it's 2013. It's, it's uh there's a joke that, you know, like the mind calendar said 2012, all kinds of stuff was going to happen. So up until now for us, it has been 2012 and everything has, you know, kind of gone to hell. You know what I mean? That's crazy. Are you sourcing from multiple farmers or are you able to get all of that from your family that, um, that actually farms it? Are they still farming? Most of our family don't farm or don't farm to that, um, to that level, to that size. Um, and both my grandparents passed on and um, those businesses kind of diminished with like changes of government and, and you know just over time so um, like for example one of my grandfather's mills um, they're not around anymore even though they were really successful back during his time what we do is we wish we could have sourced 100% from Ethiopia but we also realized that just because we can't get 100% from Ethiopia uh, we have to start looking around Africa but we made a goal we made a commitment and that commitment was no matter what, 100% source from Africa. Like from day one, um, that was one of our biggest like hard lines. I was like, no matter what, even if there's a shortage, even, and we've been through those before, you know, there, there's been times where we've run out of TEF, like, and, and we've had European suppliers contact us. We've had Australian suppliers contact us. And it was so hard for us to say no, because part of us wants to, you know, just get this product in and sell. But then the other part of it was, what does this mean? Like, are we just going to become just another tough company or um, are we going to keep this dedication to our African suppliers? What does this do? And it's about African development, the black community's growth. To go against would almost be like a betrayal, if that makes sense. No, it makes um, complete sense. Yeah, so we've developed really strong relationships with our farmers and suppliers. So right now, the three countries we source from are, is Ethiopia, Djibouti, and South Africa. We were also in the works with, pre-COVID, we were in the works with Kenya and Tanzania. Just trying to, there's a lot of testing that needs to go on. There's a lot of uh, quality assurance that needs to go on. It, it, the, one of the reasons why I say that is because one of the first things 
uh, we actually heard this from a South African uh, company. One of the first things they told us, well, they asked us was, where do you currently source your teff from? And we told them Ethiopia. And they're like, oh, that's that's dirty teff. And we were like, I've never been so upset. Like, I've never been so, uh, like, it, it was just heartbreaking. You know, th that's why it's just from day one, we've really put an emphasis on standard, you know, standard quality lab testing. But there's these underlying stereotypes. And so that's why, like, we've been super strict, you know, with uh, quality control and just our standard and the way we do what we do so one of the things that we've really been trying not just sourcing 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 uh taking all this stuff but also giving something back so we've been working on a few different initiatives such as traceability right so uh, i'm not sure how it is in the u.s but in canada we have to trace uh one step back and one step forward so we have to source um we have to be able to trace back to our supplier and then we have to be able to trace to our customer. So that's just the basic standards. But a lot of companies like Nestle, the Coca-Colas, you know, these large companies, they go way beyond that when it comes to traceability. Like they're able to sort, uh, trace it down to an individual farm, to a certain area of an individual farm, if there's something wrong. So we've been doing that as well. We called it the Tough Traceability Initiative. So it's TTI. With that, we've been going above and beyond. And it's part of the whole black excellence kind of movement um, and mission that we're trying to inspire within the company. And do you think with your um, business, you guys, because you're actually making it happen. There's people that are, so I'm um, Haitian, of Haitian descent, and they're, you know, still trying to figure out, well, how do I source, you know, products that we are, that we grow naturally there and sell it in the U.S. Being able to do that with the grain, would you guys ever try to do a business outside of just the TEF that is from Ethiopia or from Africa, basically um, distribute? Yeah, uh, that's actually why we called the company Brahan Grains instead of calling it Brahan TEF. That was like one of the big arguments in the beginning because we knew that this is going to be a TEF company. So initially we wanted to call the company Brahan TEF. Most of our social media is at Brahan TEF. You know, everyone knows us as Brahan TEF. As we were continuing just the whole business development process, uh, looking into how we can, like, what's the five-year plan? What's the 10-year plan? We realized that there are a lot of African superfoods. There are a lot of, like, uh, there was this one, it's called Fonio. And there was this really great startup. I think it was called uh, Yolele Foods. It was an amazing, like, they were a huge inspiration, actually, to us. They have this, um, yeah, ancient super grain that they brought to North America successfully. Um, there's a bunch of different stuff like that. Uh, now there's, I think it was called Ada Blooms. Ada Blooms. And she, she's actually in Ontario as well. You know, and she, it was called Boabab, I, I believe. There's so many... Africa is so diverse. There's so much left, you know, like even though, you know, colonizers came or tried to come, you know, even though there's been so much exploitation, Africa still has so much to offer. And it's not just Africa too, you know, the Caribbean. There's so many things that have, there's so much ancient knowledge that has not been tapped into, you know, like the fact that we still, like, they don't know how to, that after like the, the Africans, like after they built the pyramids, they didn't tell anyone how to do it because they didn't trust you know anyone else. With reason, with reason. Great aquifers, <laughs> everything is so crazy, but it's crazy how much they've taken from and then made it their own. Like even for, um like the great fathers of philosophy um were um happened to they think that they got their information from the Egyptians and just made it seem like it came from them and that it was their own thought process. Um, but it's beautiful to see this, to see businesses that are actually reaching back out and trying to get something and create opportunity for Africans. Because if we could 
find a way to actually be able to, and not doing it in a way that exploiting our people, but creating, you know, opportunities for them to actually gain wealth themselves by giving them their actual, what, what they should be paid for it. Um, I think it would be, it would be tremendous because that's something that, that's almost like that that's going on in Haiti where it has to do with the cacao and even with coffee beans where they've oh, yeah. pennies, pennies for the stuff that they're, the, um, they're getting from the country. And then they're putting on these like big um, brand chocolate and coffee and they're being sold as premium because the same thing how you said, oh, it's not the same how it's done in um, Ethiopia compared to how it was done um, in the U.S., um, because they're using different traditions or whatever it may be, it just doesn't taste the same. They're doing the same and they're making these um, products premium because the flavors is just completely different. The way that it it just tastes, the aroma, whatever it is, it's just premium products that they're creating. So it's better if we can find, you know, a blueprint from our own people um, um, to find out how we can go back and tap into our, our people, our um, culture, to be able to share that with the world and it be on our demand. The, being exploited, I think, is the hardest thing that we've had to, to deal with because American culture, history, a lot of it is Black history. So it's just crazy. But it's nice to see people, young people like you, that are trying to find ways for us to be able to be the owners of what we should be owning. It just brought to mind something about Egypt and the pyramids as well. Like there was actually Tef found buried in the pyramids, you know? And, and it just showed like there was so much intercontinental trade back then. There was so much um, collaboration. And even when it comes to, you know, like Ethiopia's independence, you know, Ethiopia's never been colonized. And so a lot of times, you know, as a community, you know, we always accredit 100% to ourselves, you know, like the Ethiopians fought off all the colonizers, which is mostly true. But one of the really interesting things that, you know, I found out a couple of years ago, and imagine, you know, like me, I'm 25 now, and I only found it out when I was, I think, 22 or 23, was that there was a lot of, um, I think during the second time the Italians tried to invade, there were a lot of um, African-Americans in the States that actually flew to Ethiopia to fight alongside Ethiopians. And so there was, this is what, like, Ethiopian history is African history. You know, Ethiopian Taf Africa needs to unite the black community needs to unite in the way it was before. Sure, we have our own when it comes to fighting off outsiders, when it comes to reclaiming what's rightfully ours. If we unite, amazing things can happen. So for example, when it comes to all these ancient grains, all these ancient superfoods that are throughout the continent, it's um, like, for example, if there was like a Tefanfonio recipe, you know, like that could be, and it's just like this collaboration. It, it, even what you're doing, that in itself, sharing this knowledge, sharing taking the time to gather this information, taking the time to share it within the community. It's huge. It's huge. You, you, like, there's a lot of, there's there's a huge movement going on right now for, for this. Yeah, so Pharrell and uh, Jay-Z, yeah, it's Pharrell and Jay-Z. They have a, a, a song called Entrepreneur, and it basically showcases Black businesses. And it was one of the, I, I was shocked at the fact that, like, this wasn't a thing before. Like, I was shocked at how emotional it made me, you know? And it was the same thing with, you know, Black Panther, right? The Black Panther, the movie. It felt like this should have been a thing. We get one, what it was able to do was just revolutionary, able to inspire generations, you know, and, and it's going to continue. It, it's been, there's a, there's a really strong movement right now for Black ownership, Black people 
to reclaim what's rightfully theirs. And also this working together, collaborating, uh, helping one another out. You know, like when we first started, there weren't that many people, you know, to give us information. But then that was also because we ourselves didn't know who to reach out to. You know, we found out later on that, you know, there's a whole Black Chamber of Commerce here. You know, there's an African Chamber of Commerce. Like, there are all these, there's an Ethiopian Chamber of Commerce. Like, there's all these different resources that are available. It's just about finding it, uh, being able to uh, reach out. And then also, like, uh, what you're doing here, um, more and more of the younger generations stepping up and saying, there's a need. There's a need for Black ownership. There's a need for Black equity. There's a need for all these different things. Instead of just waiting around, let me do something. You know, let me take this step. Let me take this risk. It's a huge risk, you know, to start a business. It's a huge risk to start anything. But taking that first step, it's it's something that is so powerful, like it's hard to even describe. Yeah, to piggyback off on that, like, I think, because um, you touched on a lot of things. It's uh, as far as with um, Black Americans, I, and just even, I could say it might be the same thing in Africa, the, 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 the feeling of that big divide. I feel like there's been a lot of issues with um, colonization of, you know, the black people, um, making them feel some type of superiority if they have more fair skin, if their hair is softer, and just kind of trying to find ways to constantly divide, divide. And that whole mindset has outlived those who created that to the point where sometimes, you know, white people, when they find out, oh, you know, how black people feel about, you know, sex, little sex sectors of black people, they're just like, what, but aren't you guys all black? Like, you know, why are you guys going further into dividing yourselves? Um, black people who are Caribbean and those who are American are, you know, don't feel like they're one. And then even African-Americans not wanting to be called African-Americans, even though you came from Africa, you know, and then not having ownership and pride in your actual history. And again, it's not their fault. Um, it's more so the slave mentality. A lot of it has played a role within our community um, as far as like some people not wanting to be ambitious because, the, and I didn't get it at first. I'm just like, because I always see the same mentality from people who are not from America um, that are Black. I'm just like, why is it that they aspire to do more, they aspire to own, they aspire um, to just, you know, do more than just being in the hood. And, you know, why is it that Black people stay right there? And it, it I'm not saying all, you know, Black Americans do that, but I'm just saying why the majority, and it, it started showing more and more um, with this whole thing of being, you know, in lockdown with COVID, and you're finding out that a lot of their Wall Streets, places that they were making money, were literally burnt down in their faces. Their owners, their, um, um, like the people who were actually, le like their leaders, all of the people that they looked up to that created the movement for their communities were being killed, hanged, burned in front of them. So then it's just like, then you understand why it is that it kind of stays there. And I feel like, you know, that's something that even you know, white and black Americans don't understand. It's like, where does this mentality come from of just staying there? And why has it been so hard to move up? But it's beautiful to see um, people that are, you know, even if they don't have the mindset to be an entrepreneur per se, as far as like creating a product, 
Um, but people like me who are like, okay, well, you know, we're doing well for ourselves. How can we start pouring our money back into our community? Where are all the black companies that we need to start supporting? And that's the cool thing to see as well is to see, okay, everybody may not be interested in starting a business, but people are starting to realize, wait, I have I have a power. I have power within my dollar to vote for my people and to be able to bring my community up. It's not just about me being up now. How can I bring my community up with me? And I think it's very important for us to start realizing that, that that's what we need, to, we need to start doing. All of the money that we've wasted on, not to say anything bad about Nike, but there's so many Black-owned footwear that's out there now. Can you imagine how well the Black community would have been doing if we've been using some, some of those monies towards, you know, Black-produced products? So, yeah, you touched on a lot. So thank you for that. It's about um, not only reclaiming, but owning, you know? It's really about that, that Black ownership. Because I keep on asking myself, it's like, why would the why would the, first why would this Dutch company do this? Why would they try to patent this grain at a time when it wasn't really that well known outside of Ethiopia? One, and then two, why would all these different countries grant them this patent? It made no sense to me. And then you really start to see, especially now, there's so much investment into tech, and this is something that's not really well known um, outside of businesses like ours that are in the tech. We're in the tech business. It's our job to know what's going on, you know, in the industry. So I was shocked, like there's like commercial farms going up in China and in India, like TEF is becoming, th like they're really ramping up production. And what's it all about? You know, Ethiopia has like, I think over 90% of the global market share of TEF right now. But these other countries are slowly starting to ship away at that. And it's terrifying, you know, like by the time the, the community grabs a hold of it, you know, by the time we start producing at such a large scale, um, that we can really dominate, you know, global markets. Uh, by the time we do all these different things, how like how long, one, how long will it take? And two, um, will these other countries have beaten us there? That's something that really scares me. You know, that that's something that th this whole 100% source from Africa thing really came from that. We need to reinvest back into the continent. We have to reinvest back into our own community. So what does that look like? You know, when we buy, when we choose to buy let's say 100,000 kilos of TEF from, um, okay, uh, let's say we choose to buy 100,000 kilos of TEF from Ethiopia. And let's say we pay, okay, I'm not gonna get prices, but uh, let's say we, we pay like um, a certain price for that. That money is reinvested in, first of all, it's foreign currency going into the country. Then on top of that, it's, um, that what, what does that community do with that money? They can buy new equipment, they can improve their processes, they can buy more land. Um, you know, they, they can do they so can much. They can hire more people. They can hire more people too. You know, like there's so much that can be done. And this is not a new concept. Like I, it's only within, I, I believe the black community that's like a new concept. This is what all other societies do. Um, the Jewish community does this. Um, the Arab community does this. The Chinese community does this. Like all these other communities have this own connected working economy, like amongst each other, you know? And it's, for us, it's about doing that too. You know, like the black dollar, like we hear it so much, the black dollar, the black dollar, the black dollar. The black dollar doesn't just involve, um, okay, we're near Toronto, right? There are a lot of black businesses in Toronto. We can choose, for example, when we start, first got our packaging, um, we couldn't afford to do fancy, you know, custom made packaging. So we got the standard packaging and we got labels. 
initially we got the labels from like one of these big, you know, well-known online companies, you know, that it's very convenient. You just upload the image. The company was in the States. Shipping was a ton. On top of that, we had to pay taxes to the government. Um, it, it, it was a bit of a, a mess. And then, so we started to look within the company, like, what can we do? Not, it wasn't just about the labels. How can we get more black businesses involved within this economy? So we found, we found out that there was just within a few phone calls of just asking around, asking a few black owned business owners that we knew, we found out that there was, um, a black owned printing company in Toronto, like an hour drive away from us. We wouldn't have to be shipping. We have our own sprinter vans. We'd go pick it up ourselves. And on top of that, we'd be helping them out. You know, when COVID first happened, when, when everything went into lockdown, we needed, uh, labels really bad. By that time, we had developed such a great relationship with him. He had shut down his, his business. He had shut down his whole, like the whole facility for us because he knew we were in a desperate situation. For us, he himself went and printed like a few thousand labels, you know, and, and, and gave it to us. And, and that's what I'm talking about. Like, would this other company have done that for us? You know, like th this is that kind of family interworking kind of like the global black community kind of beautiful kind of collaboration that I love seeing, you know, and it was so heartwarming for us, you know, like, and we would have never known about him, you know, if we hadn't called around a bit, done a few Google searches, you know, really put in the effort to look for local black owned businesses. And they're there, they're there. Like so many black owned businesses start and a lot of them crash because there's not that interworking community, you know? So we really took that, uh, we really took a, a really big step, not just with that, but with as many parts and areas of the business as we could. Nice. And is there any that come to mind that you can um, share with us of other Black-owned businesses that you've been able to work with to streamline your business? Okay. And then there's, uh, uh, his name was Tana Printing. The company's called Tana Printing. Um, T-A-N-A and then Printing. Yeah. Based in Toronto. It's, it's a really... It's a really small, um, humble family business that's been around for a while. You know, it's been, they do all kinds of things. They do wedding cards, business cards. They do labels, you know, for us. It's, it's been really, really great working with them. And do they do heat printing? Um, as far I'm as not sure. They probably do. They probably do. They do all kinds of stuff. Yeah. Nice, nice. Um, and then, yeah, so is there any other businesses that do come to mind? One of the really, one of the recent kind of collaborations, I think with social media that we've had was with uh, Black Foodie. Her, her name's Aiden, and she was really, really instrumental in kind of helping us get our social media kind of off the ground. So I think just between the time, just trying to run the business, set everything up, you know, I had done very little when it came to social media. Our social media platforms were pretty much dead. Um, and then so we, we heard of her. Uh, like just, just through uh, mutual friends and, and uh, through the community. And so we looked into her. She has a beautiful website. I think it was so she really specializes in helping out black owned, owned businesses around food, um, food producers, restaurants, cafes, uh, black owned brands in general. She was really, really um, instrumental in helping us get our social media off the ground. She came here. She shot pre-COVID, of course, she shot um, our, our, milling uh, our milling facility. She put a few recipes together for us. She was really, really helpful. And then she gave us social media tips as well, like how to kind of stay on top of that. So, you know, things have been pretty crazy, but a lot of her advice was really, really instrumental. How has um, COVID really like 
hit in a positive way or a negative way hit your business? Oh, it hit us like a train. It was, we have, um, like COVID really kind of made us kind of huddle in and kind of focus on the the essentials. We weren't able to be as creative as we wanted to be and kind of do all these things that we wanted. But, you know, just staying in, holding in, uh, we were kind of in survival mode, if that makes sense. Now, though, we're starting to realize it's okay. You know, like things are like COVID, you know, might be scary, but like now we have kind of like an idea, a better idea of what's going on and what we can expect. So in the coming weeks, you're going to be seeing, especially with the launch of our new packaging, like we do have a few things in the work right now. I'm not going to spoil too many things, but uh, we do have a few things in the works. Um, I get an insider, nothing. <laughs> okay, so uh, one of the things we're, we're this is actually um, good even for your listeners. Uh, we're actually we've reached out and we're looking for um, other food companies, black owned food companies, preferably to collaborate with on a few different recipes. So including Teff. So for example, one of the biggest complaints that we've had was, okay, Teff is great. It's an amazing super grain. How do I use it? You know, like what can I make it with it? You know, so we do have a few recipes on our website, but it's nowhere near what I wanted. And that's part of the whole survival mode kind of situation. But now we are looking at, developing more recipes and while we were doing that we thought why not incorporate ingredients brands like for example um chocolate chip cookies right chocolate a tough chocolate chip cookie if there was like a black owned chocolate chip manufacturer you know like that would be something that we would love to collaborate on or um there's a company that we just well we didn't even know that they posted us they created a list of uh black owned businesses um they're called yeah it's village it's a uh, well v-i-l-e-d-g-e and so they created a list of black owned consumer brands and they featured us in it and we had no idea we didn't even know till another black owned business reached out to us and they said oh yeah this is where we found you and we're like village what are you talking about you know and so like they sent us the link and we were shocked you know it was really it was really uh, like they didn't ask for anything they really didn't ask for anything at all. Like we didn't even know that they, they did that for us, you know, and this is what, kind of what I'm talking about, you know, it's like, cause we've had people reach out to and they're like, uh, we'll feature you in our whatever for 2000 something, whatever dollars. And it's like, and so they also, you know, helped us out as well. Um, so like, this is kind of like what I was, what I was touching on earlier. It's like, a lot of times we just don't know, you know, like we don't know that, there is this company, a black owned business right across the street from us. Like we were, we were importing our labels from the US, paying a ton in shipping, paying taxes on top of that. Um, when there was a black owned business less than an hour, an hour drive away from us, you know, where delivery was free because we picked it up ourselves that it was just so eye-opening to us and it saved us so much money. Like a lot of like this kind of, there's a misconception with like black owned businesses where some of them, sometimes like people are like, Oh, they always overcharge or, you know, you know what I mean? But sometimes you save a lot of money, you know, and and you get to support your your community as well. It's just, it's really amazing. Yeah. Let us know what makes your company special. One of the absolute most special things about us is that we source 100% from Africa. Like with us, we really are focused on not just buying, purchasing TEF from these farmers, but also supporting them with different initiatives. For example, improving their traceability. We're doing something with uh, like non-GMO. We're really focused on non-GMO right now. So there was a, a push to make TEF varieties that are GMO. 
we've really been pushing against that and we've been trying to educate farmers like there's over 400 well now over 800 varieties of teff and there's a reason for that it's a very diverse grain we just through ancestral knowledge through my the family's um teff ties previously we know kind of which varieties work best um for injera like the staple food and then we also know which varieties work best for things like pancakes cakes, bread, stuff like that. Another thing that we do is we stone mill. Most of the time, most grains are milled these days using roller mills, which are like two steel kind of rolls, like smashing the grain, you know. With us, we use stone. So stone gently grinds it. And that's just the ancestral way that we know how to do it. And there's also like a quality difference. That's just, it's hard to describe. It, it makes the flour almost velvety. It's more manageable for a different variety of baked goods. The quality is just amazing. We also don't bleach. We never do any additives or preservatives. You get tough. It's as simple as that. The flour milling industry is ridiculous sometimes. Like what we read, chlorine gas for bleaching and, you know, all kinds of different preservatives and, and compounds, you know, being added in. Um, they take all the bran out. They take all the vitamins and nutrition out. And then they, they fortify it by adding the iron and stuff back in, which makes no sense. It's just keep the brand in there, you know, keep it whole grain, keep it 100%, keep it natural, you know. And just by keeping things wholesome, by keeping things natural, by keeping things true, you know, to our past, to our history, and just respecting the roots of where Tef comes from, the history, the culture. Like one of the best compliments we, we ever receive, and we love hearing this, is that nothing will make you happier than hearing like an Ethiopian mother or an Ethiopian grandmother saying, wow, it tastes like, you know, just like from back home. It's, it's one of those things that really brings a smile to our faces. And then do you have any words for the Black community um, at large? That means it doesn't matter, Caribbean, um, American, Canadian, and future entrepreneurs that are Black. Uh, the biggest one would be unite, um, connect, take, put in the effort to just look you know, at what other black businesses are within the community, you know, what other businesses, you know, it's just like working together, building up this black economy, um, strengthening the black dollar, you know, really using our money, you know, like our finances in a way that benefits us and not just like financially, you know, but, you know, so, uh, psychologically as well. Like there's something about buying for, for me personally, there's something about, about buying from a black owned business that it's almost like spiritual in a way, you know, it's almost like uh, you feel like an inner sense of a brotherhood, a sisterhood, you know, like a sense of family. Like I honestly feel like now things are really changing because of the internet, social media, you know, like this real connection, like there's black Twitter now, you know what I mean? Like this kind of connectivity, you know, working together, you know, growing together. It's really amazing. I, I think, one of the biggest things that we can do for each other is just look around at what black owned businesses there are near us and really, really, really just not just spend blindly, but spend consciously. Like, mm. For example, if I buy Starbucks, but um, we have uh, in Toronto, there's an Ethiopian coffee company. It's, I think it's called Mofer. Mofer? I think Mofer Coffee. He owns a, a few cafes and he apparently he farms it in Ethiopia, the coffee himself, and he brings it and then he sells it in his own coffee shop in canada you know it's like huge what he's doing it's revolutionary like this kind of mentality yeah so for for me personally it's like you can make a decision go to starbucks and sure you know they're gonna pay the ethiopian farmers pennies you know on the dollar or support this guy he's benefiting his own community and it's the same thing with all kinds it's not just food businesses you know clothes all kinds of different businesses it's like what you said about you know nike there's how many black owned brands out there you know like support 
black owned business consciously. So just because it's owned by black people, it doesn't necessarily mean it's good. And I'm not going to, sometimes you just have to be real with your own community, you know, what I mean? really spending consciously. And I think if we do spend consciously, then naturally you want to support your own community. Almost immediately you want to spend within your own community. It's not just about race or culture or whatever it is. It, it's just about, there's this natural sense of family. I, I, I feel personally like, and a lot of, not only my family, but a lot of people within that I know, you know, like that's how they feel as well. It's just, it's like a natural move almost. We've been approached by black owned businesses, all kinds of different businesses, like Caribbean, all kinds of businesses. And sometimes we are willing to pay like a slight premium. You know what I mean? It's just one of those things where it's like, it's, it's all right. You know, it's like a kind of like, you know, helping each other kind of thing. But then there's other times where it's just like, I feel like you're coming from my pockets. You know what I mean? Like, like it's, it's just ridiculous. And that kind of, uh, sometimes you really question, it's like, well, I want to support you, but you're putting me in a situation where I can't. You know, you're really, and it hurts me. It's, it's kind of like, you know, after your parents kind of whip you or whatever, they're like, it hurts me more than it hurts you or whatever. It's almost like that. You know, it's just one of those, one of those moments where it's like, I really wish we could have done business, but you know, at the end of the day, we all got to look out, you know, for ourselves. So that's why I'm like, if you un really understood your cost, if did it actually cost you anywhere near that, maybe it cost you to with shipping and everything, maybe it cost you two, no, let's say five, eight dollars. You know what I mean? And you're charging a hundred. Yeah. And it's like one of those things where do you want to be in business for a few months? If that's the case, go for it. Charge 150 if you want. You know, like if you if you believe there's a market for it, but understanding who your customers are, understanding what they can afford is a huge thing. For example, we have here at Brahan, we have um, two varieties of RTAP products. We mill in two different ways. One we call the all-purpose. The all-purpose TAP flowers are cold stone milled, which means they're milled very, this is what's available on our online store, milled very slowly, um, below 80 degrees. Most mills, they mill up above 120. To, to be able to ensure that kind of quality, it takes way longer and it's so much more of a hassle. But we do it because that's the only way for it to incorporate properly into, I would say like North American, you know, kind of food, like pancakes, waffles, um, breads, you know, cook, stuff like that. It, it just works better in those recipes. And then we have the injera grade. The injera grade was designed. It's, injera is like Ethiopians, Ethiopian and Eritreans, like um, the staple food. It's like our standard bread. It's like, uh, I guess, wonder bread for the U.S., you know, like it's, it's what we eat all the time. It's, it's our thing. And so that is milled much faster and coarser as well. We were able to understand our costs. And when we're able, when we're able to sit down and really evaluate these costs, we're able to see that, okay, this all-purpose is costing us a lot more to produce than the injera grade. So what are we going to do? Are we going to charge the same for both, which would be a lot easier to explain to customers? Or are we going to just create these two separate product lines. So that's what we, we separated them. And so for the all-purpose one, it costs a lot more. For example, for five pounds, it's um, like, no one can stop this. Internet's here, social media's here. We've already reconnected. We've already touched base. Like the global black family has already started to reunite. So this is something that's not gonna stop. I'm just gonna put it that way. It's, nice. it's not gonna stop. Um, and so it's, it's not like that. I think another thing that's really important is that we also have to understand what has happened in our past, in our history, and make sure that doesn't happen again. You know what I mean? It's like it's, there's times where I hear stories, I read articles, and it's like, wait, what? Like, sometimes I'm just in pure shock, you know, like, this happened, that, like, for example, we were just talking about the, the Chinese, right? Like, 
they're investing so much. Sometimes I'm hearing ridiculous numbers and I'm like, wait, how much interest are we paying back on this? You know what I mean? Like, how long are we going to be in? What's the collateral on, on, the, on this loan? You know, what's going on? And, and so, like, I think we all need to just also be cautious as we grow, as we continue to connect. We also need to be very cautious and kind of like huddle in, you know, like protect one, really just watch each other's backs, you know, also. It's, it's something that's, growth is good. Growth is really, really good. But uh, you also got to watch that as well. You know what I mean? Like you don't want to, for example, there's some people that say like, you don't want to grow too fast. Otherwise you might lose everything, you know? So it's, it's one of those things too, where we also need, it seems to be a conscious growth, a conscious growth. And this needs to be like uh, something, it's like a family getting back together. It's like a family reuniting. But that's the way I see it. Yeah. Thank you so much again. This was awesome. You have a good one, man. God bless you. You too, you too. Have a great one. Thank you. All right.